Today on Follow Friday, we're going to talk about Persian chicken, the desert blues, architecture, nuclear waste, the Commodore 64, and see-through technology. That's in a minute with Reza Farazmand from Poorly Drawn Lines. But first, today's show is brought to you by The Edit from Timber. The Edit connects podcasters with industry professionals who will listen to their work and give them constructive feedback. I'll tell you a bit more about them later in the show. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. So now right away. With no further delay. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. It's Follow Friday. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, please take a moment now and follow or subscribe in your podcast app. It's free, and you'll get fresh interviews with your favorite creators every week. Today on the show is Reza Farzmand, the artist behind one of my favorite comics, Poorly Drawn Lines, which comes out three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And as of a couple weeks ago, it's also a TV show that you can stream on Hulu. We'll talk about that in a minute. You can find Reza on Twitter at PDL Comics and on Instagram at Poorly Drawn Lines, or you can read the comic at PoorlyDrawnLines.com. Reza, welcome to Follow Friday. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Eric. So good to talk to you. So good to meet you. Uh, first off, congratulations on the new TV show. Thank you. This is this has been a long time coming, huh? You've, you've been doing this comic for something like 10 years now? Yeah, it's it's been just about 10 years, I think. I, I would say it's a little bit less from when I started like really dedicating myself to it and knowing that I wanted to do it as a full-time career. But yeah, all in all, I guess I started it about 10 years ago. Wow. And then the show has been in the works since about 2018 is when I originally started drafting scripts. Um, so that's also been um, in the works for a few years. So it's really cool to finally see it, see the finished product on screen. Well, t- tell me about that. Like, what did you think making a TV show would be like? And how has it surprised you over those three years you've been working on this? I guess I always pictured it being like me in a room with animators, like, I guess, brainstorming and creating things. I guess my only real exposure to like, how animation studios work in the past was maybe like the South Park documentaries. I think it was called Six Days to Air or Seven Days yeah, to Air. I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that gave me a sense that making an animated show would be like this wild process with late nights and a bunch of fast food and stuff. But it was really more of like a slow, gradual process with a lot of emailing and phone calls. Um, and also... Once, once the pandemic came around, a lot of it was done even more remotely. So initially, when we started doing like voice recording with the actors, we were in studio with them. But then um, throughout the pandemic, they were in like isolated studio booths. And it was all done over Zoom. Um, or some of them were like calling in their voice recordings from home, basically, if they had home studios. So the whole thing was a little bit different. Um, and it definitely took a lot longer. It was a lot slower than I thought. Uh, but it was also an extremely gratifying and fun process to be a part of. And yeah, it was like just something completely different from doing a comic or a book. There were so many more moving parts and so many more pieces um, to be aware of. 
Well, and, you, and you've had these characters for so long. I'm wondering, like, did you have final say over who the voices were going to be for the characters? Because I feel like in your head, you probably have a specific idea of what the characters sound like when they talk. So it's it's interesting. Like, I do have a specific idea, but then it's also really hard for me to, like, manifest that idea into reality. So I, I couldn't, like, do the voice that I hear for Kevin necessarily, or I couldn't do the voice that I hear for Ernesto. Um, but I knew that it was, it was something and I knew that I was going to know it when I heard an actor deliver it basically, but also throughout the casting process, I wanted to keep an open mind to let the actors have their own take on the character because uh, all these actors that we're working with or a lot of them anyway, are also like improv comedians or stand-up comics who have their own personalities and their own comedic style. And... Fortunately, I feel like we struck a really good middle ground where the characters still, to me, evoke the characters as I've been writing them, but they're also like performed by these incredible professional comedians who have like their own way of delivering lines. So yeah, I think it was like, it was how I wanted it to sound. And it was also a little bit new and different and unexpected for me. I don't know if I had like final say, I, I would say I had like final recommendation and then the network FX would obviously have like final say, but they were also like very supportive of my creative decisions throughout the whole process. And generally we kind of just agreed on things. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so great. Well, um, the name of the show is poorly drawn lines. You can find it on FX on Hulu. Uh, but for now, Let's talk about who Reza follows online. You can follow along with us today. Every person he recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Follow Friday. Reza, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category, Someone Who Inspires You, and you said Samin Nasrat, the author of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and host of the Netflix show of the same name. She's on Twitter and Instagram at Chow Samin, that's C-I-A-O Samin, and on Facebook at Samin.Nasrat, and I'm just going to spell her full name here, S-A-M-I-N-N-O-S-R-A-T. I also love Samin's work. She's one of my favorite celebrity chefs. Talk about why she inspires you. Yeah, so I've gotten way more into cooking in the past few years, and when I found Samin's show on Netflix it just kind of started like opening up these doors to like foundational aspects of cooking that I had never even considered. Uh, I mean, it's all in the title of the show and the book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, and how those four elements are foundational to cooking and how if you just like take cooking down to its barest elements, you can kind of achieve like a novice level understanding pretty quickly and start kind of freestyling in the kitchen a little bit and make up your own uh, recipes or like make your own touches on food uh, just based on understanding how those elements play into like making things taste good. And yeah, so that's, that's how I kind of discovered her mainly through that Netflix show. And then um, eventually I got her book as a gift and I haven't like read it cover to cover, but I use it as basically like a reference uh, tome. And so I'm just constantly like referring back to it or pulling out recipes that I like or tips that I like. And did you listen to the podcast that she did with Rishi Kish Hirway, Home Cooking? Yes, I did. I listened to, I think, every episode. Yeah, uh, it was really good. I was kind of sad when it ended, but I understand that some podcasts have have to be just, you know, open and shut. 
uh, like a good book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, another thing that I, I just love about her style is that she also integrates a lot of like Persian cooking and I'm Persian. And so I, and I've gotten into Persian cooking recently myself, which can be a little bit intimidating because it involves a lot of ingredients and a lot of steps. And it's definitely some of the more difficult cooking that I've done, but the cuisine is incredible. And it's been really satisfying to be able to like recreate some things that my parents would make. And Samin has, she it, within her book, she also has like a lot of tips on how to make Persian cooking a little bit more accessible, or she kind of like will update recipes or put her own spin on them to make them like a little bit more approachable for like the average home chef. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's an example or what are a couple examples of your favorite, you know, Persian dishes, stuff that either you ate growing up or stuff that Samin, reading Samin has taught you how to make? What are some of your favorites? Um, well, there's, there's a lot of like grilled chicken in Persian food. Um, and she has this recipe in her book that's basically like derived from a, an American buttermilk chicken recipe where you, you marinate a whole chicken in buttermilk. And then the acid does all kinds of like amazing things to make the chicken taste good. But she put like a Persian spit on it where you use like yogurt and saffron instead of buttermilk. Mm. Yeah. And so I tried that and it pretty much tasted like the chicken I would eat growing up as a kid. So I was like, oh, that's where it comes from. That's where that flavor comes from. Um, so that was pretty eye opening for me. That's so satisfying to sort of have that that revelation or that moment of figuring out why something tastes the way it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's why saffron is so expensive. It's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, so you said you've recently gotten into cooking over the past couple of years. Was that just because of the pandemic or were you already sort of starting to get more into cooking yourself? I mean, I, I personally have been cooking obviously a lot more at home over the past two years. And I feel like this yeah. has been, you know, a time when a lot of folks have been experimenting and trying stuff, if, you know, going on their own kind of voyages of, of discovery here of, of whatever sort of food they're into or whatever totally. food they remember liking in the past. Yeah, well, it was, um, I, I started getting into cooking before the pandemic, but then during the pandemic, I definitely like took it up to 11. And I also got a Weber grill that my, my neighbor who lived kind of like bequeathed on me. And so I started, uh, I started grilling and barbecuing in the backyard um, and making like uh, Iranian kebab, which is something that my parents would also make when I, while I was growing up. So I tried that for the first time. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So the pandemic definitely ratcheted it up and encouraged me to cook at home more. So um, is there anything else about the way I don't know about, about the way Samin writes, the way she podcasts or hosts her TV show. Um, is there anything else that she has done that has either changed the way you think about food, changed the way you cook? Anything else that comes to mind? I, I think, like I mentioned initially, just that understanding those four foundational elements of cooking really changed my approach. Like I use a lot more vinegar or lemon juice or lime when I'm cooking now, just knowing what acid can do. Um, I'm a lot more liberal with right. salt now and keep like a big box of kosher salt in my kitchen. And yeah, I guess it's just uh, her, also her hosting style in the show and on the podcast is just very uh, friendly and approachable. And yeah, it, it just makes cooking feel like a, something I could wrap my head around more. Yeah. Well, whenever, I mean, I'm mostly a fan of the podcast, Hem Cooking, but just I love the energy and the excitement 
that she brings to yeah. the food. It really, she, she, she really, it's, I know, I know the, the phrase is already taken by a different celebrity chef, but it really is the joy of cooking, you know, it, <laughs> it boiled down to, to so few words. Yeah, <laughs> totally. All right. Well, that was Samin Nasrat, who's on Twitter and Instagram at Chow Samin. It's Final Friday. Reza, I asked you to tell me about someone you've just started following, and you said Madhu Mokhtar. He's a songwriter and musician based in Niger, and you can follow him on Twitter at Madhu Mokhtar, on Instagram at Madhu underscore Mokhtar, and on YouTube at Madhu Mokhtar Music. And I'm going to spell his name here. M-D-O-U-M-O-C-T-A-R. I also just want to read a little bit from his website, uh, from his like about page. It says his music combines, quote, Eddie Van Halen pyrotechnics, full blast noise and guitar shredding, field recordings, drums, rhythms, poetic meditations on love, religion, women's rights, inequality, and Western Africa's exploitation at the hands of colonial powers. So, a lot to unpack there. Let's start with how you started following Madhu. How did you find out about him? Yeah, I found out about him, I think it was through another account that I was really tempted to recommend for this podcast, which is the KEXP YouTube channel. So I can kind of put like a stealth recommendation in there. And they host, KEXP I think is like a Seattle-based radio station. And they host like a ton of amazing artists and have them on for live sets that they record. I found so much great music just by browsing their channel. And I believe that's how I came across. I've been pronouncing it Mdu Mokhtar. Is it Madhu? I thought that... Oh, I I may have it wrong. Yeah. KEXP pronounced it Mdu. My brother, who's also a fan, calls him Madhu. So I'm I'm not quite sure. I think it's MDU. I'm going to stick with that. But okay, anyway, that's MDU. that's how I that's how I came across his work, and uh, that kind of opened me up also to the broader genre of like Touareg guitar music because he's culturally descends from this um, group of people in around like the Niger region called the Touareg people, and apparently guitar music is like a huge part of the culture and. Uh, like specifically rock music. Um, it's sometimes called desert blues. Hmm. So that kind of opened me up to that whole genre. And I discovered a couple of other bands through that. But yeah, I've mainly just been really into to MD Bakhtar and just his style of guitar. And it's just like heavy rock, but it sounds somehow new and different. <laughs> So what are you usually doing? What sort of frame of, you, of mind are you in when you're listening to MDU's music? Because I, I was listening to some of it while I was writing the script for this episode. And I can tell you, it was making me more productive. I, w- I was jamming there. Yeah, no, I totally listen to it while I'm working. And I, I sometimes put out a series of playlists on Spotify called Poorly Drawn Playlists, where I put the music that I've been listening to while working. And I featured him on my last one. So yeah, I think it's just like high energy good work music um, and also music that I can I can put on in the background and be like energized and not distracted by but I can also then like tune in and listen really closely and discover so many new interesting ways that he and his band play um, when I'm listening closely and I actually I'm actually wearing a shirt from them right now uh, and I also got the chance to uh, see them in concert this past weekend. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, it was my first concert throughout the whole pandemic. 
Um, so they played at, I live in LA and they played at a venue in a neighborhood called Highland Park uh, called The Lodge Room. And it was like medium-sized venue. So it felt pretty intimate and it felt like I was pretty up close. And um, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was like everyone was just grooving and really feeling it. And it was, it was incredible to see it live. And a lot of cases like live music, it can be different from how the recording sounds in a way that can be like distracting. But in this case, it was like, it was like better than anything recorded. It, and I, I have I had some trouble telling like, I feel like they go off on like jam tangents a lot, which is kind of cool. Um, so I was like, I was losing track of how much of it was previously recorded and how much was just like new stuff that they were jamming on. Huh. Yeah, so he, he he's released four albums so far by my count, um, including one of them is the soundtrack to a film that he made. He made a remake of Prince's Purple Rain in Tuareg, uh, and the title of the film, when translated back into English, is Rain, the Color of Blue with a Little Red in It. Do you have a favorite album of his, a favorite song, anything like that? Yeah, I like the album Elada, the Creator. Um, Because that was like the first one that I listened to. Yeah, I think that was like his big break. Yeah, probably. I think that's what he was on tour for that when he did the KEXP set, which is how I discovered him. And then his new one, Afrique Victim, is also really good. So yeah, I'd recommend either of those two. But I think starting with Ilana is probably a good start. I I'm, I'm I wish we had done this interview a couple of weeks ago so that I could have looked up his tour dates. I looked up and it looks like the rest of his U.S. tour is all in the southern U.S. I'm in San Francisco, so I think maybe I just missed a chance to you see him in California. You just missed him in San Francisco. He he was he was just in San Francisco. I know because my brother saw him. Oh my god! Yeah, you're killing me. <laughs> yeah, for for song Rex, there's one that I actually wrote down because I'm half trouble pronouncing it. It's called Tarhata Zed. That would be, and I think it's on Ilana, okay. and that's my current favorite song of his. So I think that's a really good starting point. It just rocks so hard. That was M.D. Mokhtar. Go find his work wherever you listen to music. M-D-O-U-M-O-C-T-A-R. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Reza Farazmand after this. Today's show is brought to you by The Edit from Timber. If you have a podcast and you want feedback on it, you could just put it on Twitter and hope someone listens. But for only $20 a month, the edit will connect you with industry professionals such as Sky Pillsbury, Jenna Spinell, or me, Eric Johnson. We will give you constructive feedback and help you make your podcast so much better. Sign up today at followfriday.net slash timber. That's followfriday.net slash T-I-M-B-E-R. Also, quick reminder that you only have a couple weeks left to get your hands on Follow Friday stickers. If you're pledging at least $5 a month to Follow Friday on Patreon as of October 31st, then I will mail you a handwritten thank you note and a sheet of adorable stickers. These stickers look great on a water bottle, a laptop, or anywhere else you like. Full details about this promotion at patreon.com slash follow Friday. It's Friday. 
Welcome back to Follow Friday. Reza, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who makes you think, and you said the podcast 99% Invisible. You can find it at 99percentinvisible.org, on Twitter at 99pi.org, or on Instagram at 99percentinvisible. This is the iconic design podcast hosted by Roman Mars. He's come up on the show before. Go listen to the Dallas Taylor episode to hear us talk about Roman. But for the folks who don't know, who are missing out, explain what 99% Invisible does and, and why you love it. In broad strokes, it's a design podcast. But then design can be anything from like the design of a city block to the design of the um, the graphic design and aesthetics for a specific Olympics and it's just like how the world is designed around us and how we interact with it. And what I love about the podcast is that it just makes me look at the world in ways that I hadn't before, or it like opens my eyes to the underlying thought behind how something is designed, things that we might take for granted in our daily lives, like walking down the street and understanding why walking down a certain city block feels very pleasant as opposed to another city block, um, because one might be like, for instance, designed on a human scale, and one might be designed on a scale for cars. So those are the kind of things that I started realizing um, why I enjoyed certain things or like what was behind them. So it's something where you'll, you'll listen to an episode and then you'll, it's it's sort of like when you learn new, a new word and then you immediately hear it out in the wild, you'll listen to the podcast and then that will make you appreciate something in everyday life differently as yeah. a result. Or I might even take it a step further and say that it's like learning the root of a word that comes from like Sanskrit or Latin and understanding why we use it now. It's like just learning about like the foundations of design around us in, in ways that we hadn't thought of before, but that certain experts have thought about very thoroughly. And now those experts come on the podcast and explain them to us. Do you find that it also makes you think about things that have not been addressed in the podcast in a different way? Like, are you scrutinizing, I don't know, details around you or just looking at the world in some different way, even if it's not something that has been directly talked about on the show? Do you find that that it makes you think just differently in general? Yeah, I would say so. It's definitely made me more curious about design. And I've always appreciated good design and loved graphic design and industrial design. And so it's it's really cool to get to listen to experts talk about those things at length. And yeah, it's, it's definitely made me think more about like why certain objects are designed the way that they are or like why certain aesthetic styles have like longer shelf life than others. I think one of the things that the show is is known for is this idea of like always read the plaque. Mm-hmm. Right, you you go out into the world if there's some sort of commemorative plaque somewhere, you know, <laughs> always read it. There's usually an interesting story there that most people are completely ignoring. Yeah, totally. I was a little bit hesitant to to put 99pi because I think it's it's pretty big now. I still like when I listen to it, I have the feeling that it's still like a little indie podcast or something. But I think they're pretty big at this point. Um, so I'm sure a lot of your listeners are already following them. Um, but it still feels like this cozy little podcast that you can tune into and learn something cool about how the world is built around you. I've been thinking about it more lately because I had the opportunity to work with Roman Mars because he, he came on and did a guest voice for my show. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. He and uh, Audie Cornish from NPR 
um, where did the guest voice of a pair of manatees who live in next door to my main characters and live in an apartment that's filled with water. <laughs> and they're like very peaceful and Zen. And they kind of provide like an antithesis to my character's lifestyle, which is like very chaotic and action packed. And so, yeah. I mean, 9 IPI, yeah, it has been huge for a long time. Very popular show. And for years, people were telling me, you're going to like this show. The show is so well made. It's The stories are so incredible. And and they knew that I like podcasts. I mean, it's a natural fit. And for years, I sort of dragged my feet and I, I like hadn't listened to it. And then uh, my fiance, when we were dating, she got me hooked on it. She just sat me down in the park one day and just made me listen to an episode, one of their best episodes, called 10,000 Years, where it's about the U.S. government trying to figure out how can we label nuclear waste so that if it is dug up 10,000 years from now, a future civilization will still know like, hey, this is dangerous. Don't open this, right? Like, watch out for this stuff here. That's a great episode. Do you have any other favorites uh, that come to mind? Any other favorite episodes of 99% Invisible? There was one that just aired yesterday. I think it was a rerun. It was, it's about Sears Homes. Like Sears, the department store. Oh, where you order it in a catalog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I think it was a an old one that they played again. But I love that one because I love um, home architecture. And I've, I knew that Sears used to make homes that you could get shipped to you in a train car and then build yourself. And I, so I've always been fascinated by that. So it was cool to take like a deep dive into that subject. And... From that one, I learned that like there's this whole there's this little club of people that go around trying to identify Sears homes and like map them out and and just, like identify the ones that are still standing basically almost a hundred years later or whatever. Wow, that's fascinating. And and now we sort of circle back to that in some ways. I've seen like startups talking about like those actual like new companies that are talking about, you know, oh, prefab backyard homes and things like that. So so everything old is new again, I guess. <laughs> totally. Yeah. There was also a, a good episode about GeoCities, which was like one of the original build your own website resources online way back in the day. And it was just about GeoCities going offline and how a huge chunk of the web was basically being erased. And people who are trying to archive it. And then it led into a broader discussion about trying to save things that are on the web that are we think of as being permanent because they're digital, but the d- digital is actually can be much more impermanent than we really realize. Like not everything is just, we take for granted the idea that everything is just backed up to a server somewhere, but those physical servers can degrade. And so a lot of these things that we think are forever could actually disappear pretty quickly. That's also another one of my my all time favorite episodes. I think that one's called "The Lost Cities of Geo," which yeah, which is just a great title. <laughs> well, that was the podcast ninety nine percent invisible. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today, Reza. I asked you for someone who's an expert in a very specific niche that you love, and you said retro gadgets, which you can find on Instagram at nightliquid underscore retro. The name of the account is a bit of a giveaway, but explain what this account covers and why you love it. Yeah, so it's basically just a a big gallery of retro gadgets, um, mostly from like the 80s and 90s. Uh, Things like Walkman or old televisions. There might even be like home appliances and old advertisements that were used to sell those products. I love gadgets and I love technology and so it's 
it's really cool to go back and see retro gadgets. For me, it's like part nostalgia because I grew up with some gadgets like that. Um, and also part like historical curiosity because there's some that I never got to grow up with or interact with. And it's just awesome to see how fast technology changes. And it's, it's neat that there's someone who's trying to archive that or like remind us that these, this is how we used to live or like these are the gadgets that we used to use. Now that we have new gadgets, like every single year, the gadgets are more disposable than ever. Right. I mean, you mentioned that a lot of it is advertisements. And that's something I, when I was looking at this account, I just loved how it, how it reflects not just the hardware, but the marketing, the way the stuff is explained and sold to the public. A lot of synth, a lot of, a lot of color, bright colors. Uh, I don't know. Did, like, for example, did you watch the ad for the Commodore 64? Yeah. Which is great. Take care of your household accounts, file your lists, type your letters, get into telecommunications, and entertain your family. But it all starts with the Commodore 64 or VIC-20. And now is the right time to start because the price of all Commodore software is now up to 50% less. Commodore computers in more homes than any other home computer. I just love like the design of, of like computers and consoles back then they were just yeah they were just like bulky and straight clean lines and like beige yellow colors and there's just something about that whole aesthetic that is um both new and nostalgic to me um and for a long time whenever i would draw like a computer or a radio in poorly drawn lines i would make a point to make it like kind of anachronistic and draw it as like a 90s Macintosh or something, even though it's supposed to be in present day. Because I just I just love retro tech. So I tried to work it into my comics in like a humorous, anachronistic kind of way. Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, I forget the name of this. It's like a design term, but it's like where the symbol of something is an anachronistic thing. Like the example of that would be if you are using the emoji for a movie, like you type movie into your phone and your phone suggests, you know, do you want to use this emoji instead? It'll be like a really old fashioned film camera or a film strip, even though, you know, almost all films are digital these days. Right. But that's, it's like an iconic symbol of what this, what this idea is, is this old fashioned piece of technology. Yeah, or like the the floppy disk to save in almost every program oh, still. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you mentioned that you grew up with a lot of this technology, so some of it is like a personal attachment to it. When you were younger, did you also think of yourself as being someone who was into gadgets? Or is this something that you've only really consciously become a fan of as you've gotten older, sort of through a more nostalgic lens? No, I think I I always liked gadgets. I've like I, I had a Walkman when I was a kid that I thought was awesome. And I remember, I don't know if you remember those commercials for the, the Home Alone recorder thing that, that Kevin used to like record the bad guys or whatever. You can have lots of high-tech fun with Tiger's Talkboy tape recorder. Hey, stop drooling on me. Hey, stop drooling on me. I never had video games growing up, but I remember seeing commercials for like all the Nintendo accessories, like the weird gray plastic Nintendo accessories, like the power glove or whatever it was called. I love the power glove. It's so bad. Um, so yeah, I've always, I've always like been attracted to technology and gadgets. And only recently I've kind of started to approach it from a more like 
academic standpoint and try to think of it through a historical lens, which is why I appreciate Night Liquid Retro for for laying that out. So what about in your own life now? Do you have retro gadgets that you either use regularly or that you just have surrounding you in, in your life? Yeah, well, I would probably have more if I wasn't averse to collecting things. But I I try not to like acquire too much stuff. I would love to own like an original Macintosh mm. or I guess it was the Mac 2, like the one that the all in one. Um, I would love to own one of those, but I just don't want to like have too much clutter in my house at this point. So the few retro gadgets that I've allowed myself are like, I have, well, I have my turntable and my um, like stereo that's that are from the 70s and 80s respectively. And then I started slowly acquiring like retro handheld uh, video game consoles. Well, not even that retro, but like the original Game Boy, um, Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are small and I can kind of just like put them in a box. But I just love the form factor of some of those like 90s and 2000s handheld consoles. Um, they're just like really cool to look at and hold. And the, I, the sprite graphics, obviously. My, my first ever Game Boy was, was the original one. So the, the large one, the chunky one that had required four AA batteries. But I remember vividly getting it because it was a see-through shell. You could see the circuit board through the case. And I, I, that that's, you know, as a very young kid, as like a five, six-year-old, whatever I was, I mean, that just like was, was a huge, you know, left a huge impression on me of just like, wow, technology. Yeah, no, <laughs> I still love that see-through design aesthetic from, I guess it was like the 90s and maybe the early 2000s where everything was see-through, like see-through phones and video game consoles. I think it's awesome and I want it to come back. I think I, I might be making this up, but I swear I heard something recently about like a limited edition Nintendo Switch that would be see-through. Maybe I'm making that up. If I am, we can cut it out, but yeah. Well, there goes another $400 down the drain. <clears throat> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just to put it on, on a shelf and look at it because it's so pretty. Well, that was Retro Gadgets, which is on Instagram at nightliquid underscore retro. Reza, thank you for sharing these follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure that listeners know how to find you and Poorly Drawn Lines online. Where do you want them to follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Poorly Drawn Lines. Same on Facebook, facebook.com slash Poorly Drawn Lines. You can follow me on Twitter at PDL Comics. And you can check out my website, poorlydrawnlines.com. And I have a new show that you can watch on Hulu called Poorly Drawn Lines. And it's a part of a a bigger show called Cake that you can also watch. Follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. You can find this show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Follow Friday Pod. You can also find us on YouTube. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to Follow Friday itself in your podcast app. That way you won't miss any future episodes. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday.